Banking regulators for the last several months have been preparing community banking leaders for increased cybersecurity scrutiny. Now that enhanced examination scrutiny is being put to the test in the form of a cyber exam pilot program at 500 community banks and credit unions. So how are these institutions faring and what lessons are being learned on both sides of the examination process that can pave the way for how the future exams at these institutions take place? Here, Jeff Lungelhofer, a principal within Booz Allen Hamilton's Financial Services Cybersecurity Practice, talks a little bit about what he's hearing from bankers and why these pilot exams will have a big impact on the future of FFIEC conformance expectations. So Jeff, before we get too detailed in our conversation here, can you just tell us what are you hearing from some of the banks that have undergone this process so far? Sure, absolutely. So banks are obviously some of the larger banks have been dealing with very enhanced and very focused regulatory scrutiny for a number of years. Um, they, they're very well prepared for the most part to deal with the, the types of requests that are coming at an increasing pace from regulators. Uh, where we start to see a lot of real challenges in the financial services practices are at the tier two banks, um, credit unions, brokerage houses, you know, investment management organizations that quite candidly have been able to elude, if you will, real heavy regulatory scrutiny for the last several years. This is fairly new for them. So for, for them, having a documented cybersecurity program having documented roles, being able to tell an articulate story to a regulator that, that answers and answers all the key questions, it can be very daunting in terms of the overall challenge. So we're getting a lot of requests for help from people on how can they document their program, how can they demonstrate conformance, how can they answer the tough questions that regulators are asking. So Jeff, the FFIAC came out in, I guess it was probably the late spring, and said that these cyber exams were going to be taking place. Have you noticed there being any evolution in the perspective of these cyber exams, or have the cyber exams evolved since the pilot programs kicked off earlier this summer? Uh, yes, I think we're seeing an increased push around show me in terms of don't just talk to me about what your cybersecurity program is. Don't just tell me that you have the right staff on hand. Don't tell me you have the right technologies, but really two key elements. Show me, demonstrate that your program is well documented, demonstrate that you have the right people in place, and most important, prove that it's relevant and applicable to your organization. And this is where I think folks can really experience some challenges because regulators don't only want to know that you have a program in place. They want to know that you have a cybersecurity program that is appropriate for the threats that are facing your institution. And, and that's where I think some institutions struggle a little bit when it comes to the, great, you've demonstrated that you have, as an example, a data protection program that looks for PII and sensitive data that perhaps could be leaking, ideally not, but it might be leaking from your institution. Why is that particular solution right for your organization? It's no longer enough just to have the control in place, just to have a technology in place. They want to know why that's the right solution for your institution. They want threat intelligence. They want to understand that, that you know the threat actors that you're facing, that you know the threat environment. And that requires a, a, a deeper level of sophistication on the part of the banks to answer those types of questions. Jeff, do you think a big part of the challenge that some of these banking institutions face is that they don't really know what the threats are? Have they not been focusing enough on threat intelligence or information sharing as some of the larger institutions have? I think they are starting to. I think everybody can read the newspapers, right? Everybody understands that there are nation states that are after. People understand some of the large groups that are out there and what's motivating them. They understand anonymous. All you have to do is read the papers, right? What I don't think they necessarily understand is, A, are those types of organizations targeting their institutions today? And B, if they did target their institutions tomorrow, 
what would their attack surface look like from that particular threat actor? And what do I mean by attack surface? Think about the size of the networks. Think about the web applications. Think about ways that an organization can indicate, potentially can reveal potentially useful data to an adversary. There are so many ways that complex enterprises today leak data. Some of them are obvious. If your web page gets hacked, if your primary databases get hacked, you lose data. But what about job postings? Just as an arbitrary example, you can look at a company's job postings and a bank's job postings and understand a great deal about their infrastructure, that they're using Hadoop for data analytics, what firewalls they're using, what types of databases they use, what kind of platforms they use. This is all incredibly useful information to an attacker. So I think that's where people really start to struggle is they, they think, well, I think they have an idea, they think they understand who's attacking them, but they don't really can't view themselves through an adversarial lens. And that makes a challenge when you get hard questions from a regulator about why did you choose to do this? You've got to be able to answer those questions from a, not just a regulatory lens, but from the eyes of the adversary and how it's preventing them from, from getting what they want. You know, that's a good point, Jeff, because I, I would, wouldn't even probably consider a job posting, for instance, as being an area um, that could perhaps be a soft spot from a security perspective. What words of advice do you give to a banking institution when it comes to something like this? I mean, how do they take a step back and kind of get a more holistic perspective on their overall security? Yeah, so it's it's a it's a great question, and and clearly, you know, there's there's, there's a balancing act there, and I want to be clear that FFIC inspections and things they're likely to hit you up on aren't likely to go to the level of a job posting and looking at your job postings. I have not seen that level of scrutiny in in an FFIC inspection specifically. That said, as banks think through how do they answer the question about why is this control good enough for you, they need to really think through every avenue by which they can provide information to an attacker. So let's just push, you know, pull the thread a little bit on job postings. If, if your organization is, is relatively small, you're not facing a large number of organized crime folks that might be trying to plant insiders inside your institution, as an example. You don't feel, based on how your assessment that you've done as an institution, that that's a likely threat vector then I wouldn't be concerned too much about posting more detailed job postings that could perhaps indicate uh, details about your infrastructure. They could allow people to very selectively place people and targeted place people within your institution. We do have some customers, though, that are on what we call a war footing. Um, these are clients that are under huge attacks. They're under constant, nonstop attacks by adversaries. And just, you know, again, pulling the thread on job postings, one of the things you can do is you can use third-party staffing companies. You can um, obfuscate your job postings. If you look at cybersecurity job postings at many institutions, they really generalize because they're looking for generalized skills. They don't want to say, you know, yeah, we have XYZ data protection uh, applications in place. We have X firewalls in place. They keep them fairly general um, because they're looking for people who have general skills and that doesn't leak information that could potentially be useful to an adversary. So it's a very, very fine tightrope to walk and, and there's no single answer for any institution. So Jeff, let me ask you, and you touched on this a little bit during the introduction. These pilot exams have been aimed at community institutions, which historically have been able to get away with things maybe that some of the larger banks and credit unions have not. So if there is some type of updated guidance or there's some type of change in FFIEC cybersecurity examination policy, how might that impact larger institutions? Well, larger institutions are somewhat more um, Again, they have much more mature programs, as I mentioned before. So they, they've been dealing with FFIEC handbooks. They've been dealing with you know, the e-authentication guidance. They've been dealing with, and they deal with more than just FFIEC, right? They deal with, obviously, the OCC. On the broker-dealer side, it's now the OCIE, which is also looking at broker-dealers. Uh, you know, the, the, the push is really moving out towards the, towards the smaller players. 
I think that's been driven largely by the fact that many of the major, particularly the, uh, the activist groups, it's really not effective to target I don't want to mention any specific bank on this discussion, but a top five bank to do a distributed denial of service as an example, you're just not going to get anywhere, most likely, unless you have some really creative, innovative new technique. Your run-of-the-mill actor groups are looking to make a splash. They're looking to make a statement. They're pushing their way down into those tier two, uh, tier three institutions, investment houses, community banks, because that's where they can get headlines. That's what they're after. Um, so I think we're going to see less of um, major initiatives on, on the large financial institutions, except for those few that, that do lag behind. Uh, there are some large institutions that have been primarily reactionary in how they've dealt with guidance. They've answered specific regulator questions. They've done so effectively. They've addressed specific incidents, but they really haven't built a comprehensive and, and funded a comprehensive cybersecurity program. That's not the norm for the large financial institutions in your top 25 banks. They generally have a good handle on this. So most of the churn is going to be in the, in the tier two institutions and the smaller institutions that may not even have, as an example, a chief information security officer. Their entire security department may be one or two people. Right? It's how do you build a mature program that's well documented, that's sustainable, that demonstrates that you've thought about threat intelligence and threat actors and, and right-sized your program when you only have one or two people to do it? It's a, it's a real challenge. So do you think, Jeff, that the FFIEC might issue some type of enhanced or supplemental guidance that specifically addresses cybersecurity risks? Oh, I, I think you can always count on the FFIEC uh, releasing new guidance. <laughs> I think that goes without saying. There will be something that's going to come out. Um, I, you know, I tell you, I, now we're into the, into the space of, of being predictive about what a regulator is going to do. That's a tough thing for anybody to predict. I think we're going to see some, you know, again, this is purely speculative. Uh, from the large institution perspective, how they might be affected, I think we're going to see some increased pushes around information sharing. Um, I know that's been a, the government's been pushing that heavily, regulators have been pushing that fairly heavily, but I think we may see some, some guidance around that. I think we may see some guidance around increased efficiency in how cyber operations are run. So you know, one thing we're seeing, a trend that we're seeing in the major banks now is fusing various cyber capabilities together. So just give you a tactical example. There's a threat intelligence team at almost every large financial institution, right? And they generate real-time threat intelligence. They pull feeds from other institutions. They talk to other institutions. They pull feeds from government agencies. They pull feeds from commercial providers of threat intelligence like Booz Allen Cyber Foresight and various other organizations that are out there. And this is what they do. And they, they fuse that together. They release reports. And then they have a detection and an incident response team. And those are the folks that are watching the health of the enterprise. They're responding to events, hey, we have a piece of malware over here. You know, they're doing the, the operational aspects of managing the security of the infrastructure. They're doing the operational incident response. Those are usually separate groups. That doesn't make any sense, right? People are starting to realize that right. how can you effectively manage a large-scale incident if you're not feeding real-time threat intelligence to that group? If that group isn't feeding real indicators of compromise, here's the type of malware we're seeing. Here's what it's doing. What are they likely after? Who is this after? These capabilities all need to increasingly work together to be effective. And I think we're going to start to see some of the institutional barriers, not only between institutions, but even within the institutions. Those barriers are going to need to start coming down. And I think that's going to happen in a much more accelerated pace over the next uh, year or two. Yeah, breaking down those silos, which is something that we've been talking about for the last decade. It's inevitable, right? When you build a new capability, you, you, you hire a really smart uh, a guy or gal, and they get in there and they build this great program, and it, it, you know, it inevitably it winds up being a, a high-functioning capability, and you wind up with a collection of high-functioning capabilities that don't talk. 
right? Mm -hmm. There's just they don't even they don't even have a water cooler. They're in different locations, even in some cases. It's just hard to, to, to gain efficiency. So the irony here is that this is an analog of what happened with, within the U.S. government after September 11th. There's no question that our intelligence agencies weren't talking. They weren't able to put together an operational picture of what was happening with that threat intelligence leading up to September 11th. It was a, there's well-recognized failures. As we start to see some of those, some of the real hardcore government experts start to filter out in the industry, they're bringing those best practices with them. And so it's, it's interesting. It, it hasn't been regulatorily driven at this point, at least not to my knowledge, unless it's buried somewhere and I haven't seen it. But it, it's starting to spread from the, from the government best practice, the government practitioners. It's really spreading out into industry. So uh, I think we're going to see an acceleration of that. Again, we, we need to do the same lessons learned, the same things are applicable in the financial services side because, frankly, financial services is critical infrastructure. There's no question. The government knows it. The banks know it. If we lose our top financial institutions from an availability perspective, data integrity perspective, as a nation, we are in significant jeopardy. Is there any concern, Jeff, that banking institutions could perhaps be placed in a role that, that's not comfortable for them? I mean, do you think there's pressure on banking institutions to perhaps be sharing cybersecurity information that they're really not equipped to share? I mean, are they going to be expected to play a role that really NSA should be playing? Absolutely. Um, well, I, I, wouldn't, I don't want to talk about the NSA and the role they should be playing. <laughs> that's, a, that's a hot potato a topic. But, you know, absolutely, there's a lot of discomfort. And it's on both sides, right? So a lot of institutions have a legitimate gripe with the federal government and the intelligence agencies and the federal government that are supposed to be increasingly cooperating with banks. Right? They're just, they're not getting the fidelity of data from them. There's the veil of secrecy. There's, I'm sorry, that's classified. We can't share that with you. That's a, a frustrating point. And I hear that. I mean, like, Really, you'll hear that if you go to some of the conferences about the government cooperating with banks and sharing intelligence. There's a lot of skepticism at this point. The banks don't feel like the government is really giving them anything. It's, it's terribly useful, to be perfectly frank. On the flip side, banks are, are rightly hesitant to share data, to share forensic information um, outside, of course, the context of a law enforcement agency doing an investigation. Um, but even there, they may hesitate to share information because there could be customer PII. Uh, so we, we need to really, I think this is not even a, a necessarily a regulatory solution. We need to think about a comprehensive way that the government and our financial institutions, both as critical infrastructure, both as key to supporting the nation, can work together more effectively in order to, to share information, to be more seamless in how they respond. The government can do things. They can do adversarial activities. They can do counter strikes that you just can't legally do. It's very difficult for a bank to do those in a legal or ethical way. We've got to work together. So the walls I talked about internal to the institutions, between institutions, we also need to tear down those walls between the, the U.S. government and the various agencies and our institutions. It's all critical infrastructure. We all need to work together. Which is probably why we see so much push for legislation. I didn't want to say that because, again, I'm well into the predictive space here about what's coming. And the reality is that regulatory guidance isn't going to fix this problem. You can't regulate around law. Again, we've just heard from Jeff Longohofer of Booz Allen Hamilton. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tracy Kitten.